All right, good morning again. If you would uh, turn in your Bibles this morning to Ephesians chapter 1, so that's General Electric Power Company, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. That's how I always remember it every single time. I know it tells you a lot about what's going on up here, doesn't it? Not a whole lot. So we are starting a new series this morning in the book of Ephesians. I'm very, very excited about it. Um, So here's just a touch of background, and we'll build on this week by week as we go go along. So Paul is writing, Paul's the author, and he is writing to the churches around Ephesus. Probably when he's in a Roman jail, we think around 60 AD. And his letter breaks quite nicely into two parts. Chapters 1 to 3 tells the church, okay, this is what's true of you in Christ, what God has done for you. And then 4, 5, and 6 is the implications of God's grace in the church, in the individual, and in the family. Now, he starts his letter really with the Trinity. He starts with praise to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in how they have saved us. And so for the first 14 verses, it's one sentence. <laughs> Did you hear what I just said? The first 14 verses in the Greek is one sentence. And it's, it's the Trinity. It's what the Father's done, what the Son's done, what the Spirit has done in your life. And so that, that's going to be our next three Sundays. This Sunday, we're going to look at verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father, as he unpacks what God's done in your salvation. And then we're going to look, starting around verse 7, at the work of the Son, go to around 11, and then pick up with the Holy Spirit, 12, 13, 14, and His work in your salvation. And the Father's work, Paul says, starts with one thing. Before the foundations of the world, He chose you. If you're a believer, the Father did. So let's read. Starting at verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as he chose us in him, before the foundations of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. We'll stop there. Pray with me, please. Father, we just praise you. Um, And we want to know more about your glorious grace, which starts towards every believer before the foundations of the world. And I thank you, Lord, you haven't just called us, chosen us, and just set us there to do nothing, but you've chosen us, given us every spiritual blessings by the Holy Spirit to live a life of holiness set apart that glorifies you. Lord, and we want to be a people, a church, 
that knows your glory deeply, experiences the greatness of your grace, and then as we know it, we love you deeply because of who you are. And then as we love you, we want to do your will and we walk in a manner that pleases you, O Father. Lord, teach us now. Let your name be glorified because of your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Paul starts his letter off with why the church should bless God the Father with one simple truth. He chose you. That's it. You see, he connects bless God the Father, and then his first main reason is he chose you. Before you ever did anything good or bad, he chose you to be his sons and daughters. And so he opens with sovereign grace. That's his opening. In England during the 18th and 19th century, there were about 10,000 people a year that would go to debtor's prison. That's a lot. And some of those prisons were, that would allow you to work a bit, come out and work so you could pay off your debts and have food to live on, and, and they were pretty equitable to people. But the vast majority of those prisons gave you nothing. Your entire life in those prisons were dependent upon the grace and love of family and friends. So they had to bring you food, clothes, toiletry items, that's important, books to read, paper to write on, anything that you had. The prison gave you nothing. They received everything by grace in those prisons. And my friends, that is how God describes the Old Testament and the New Testament church. That he has done everything for us in his sovereign grace. And so Paul opens in Ephesians 1, he starts his letter to Jews and to Gentiles by saying, Blessed be God the Father because he chose you. He chose you to be his sons and daughters that you should be like him in holiness and live a blameless life before him, very distinct in the world. And so if you are a believer, bless God the Father because he chose you to be in Christ Jesus. He chose you to be his children. His Spirit will be with you as a mark that you are his chosen. And you will be distinct from the world, transformed in life and in desires. Understand this. Holiness is the goal of your salvation from the Father. The goal of God's work to choose you is to bring your life into harmony with His righteousness. And to show to ourselves and to the world our new identity as adopted children. So the world then sees Christ when it sees you. In other words, He calls you His children. He gives you these spiritual blessings so that you could be the light, the salt of Christ in the world. When the, when the world sees the church and it sees you, it sees His glory. That's what holiness is. And we'll talk more about this, but holiness is not a set of rules that I have to follow. That leads to self-righteousness, what I do, and guilt and shame when I fail. I'm getting ahead of myself. <laughs> so here's the main idea today. 
Holiness and glory is the goal of God's grace to you. Catch that. Holiness and glory is the goal of God's grace to you. So this week, the Father's work. Next week, the Son. Three weeks, the work of the Spirit. So let's start with this. The Father chose you before the foundation of the world. Verse 3. Look in your Bibles with me. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies. Notice how he starts. Blessed be God the Father. He starts his letter with thanksgiving and praise for what the Father has done for him. Is that thunder? Okay. How do you compete with that? Okay, let's pick up there. And notice this. The Father has blessed us in Christ. Do you see those words? Jesus is the head of God's family. He's the head of the church. All judgment and power, they are committed to him. There is no communication from the Father, no action towards his children, no works of power, grace, and goodness, except that comes to you through Jesus. The Father's work is because you are joined to his Son by faith. You are in Christ if you're a believer. That is how he saved you. We call this union with Christ. He has clothed you with his righteousness. He has joined you with his son. He has joined you with his life, his death, and his resurrection. That's how you're saved. You are in Christ. Now, what has he done for the believer who is in Christ? Look in your Bibles. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Okay, let's just pick that apart. Notice those words, spiritual blessings. The blessings of Christ are primarily spiritual. Need to catch that. Having to do with the Holy Spirit, right? Coming from the Spirit to those who are in Christ. And notice where they are in the heavenlies, in the heavenly places. And when you hear that, you say, okay, what in the world does that mean? Well, five times in the book of Ephesians, he uses this word, heavenly places, and nowhere else does he use it. Now, I, I don't think that it's, it's talking literally about in heaven where the throne of God is. The, in that day, they had three conceptions of, the, of how they would view heaven. One was where God dwelt, that's heaven. A second was like the stars in the sky. That's, we still use that today, don't we? We talk about the heavens. And the third was the spiritual realm. So which one's he talking about here? Where are my blessings? Where's the Spirit working? Are they just some ethereal thing that's in heaven for me and I'll, I'll receive them when I die? Look at Ephesians 6. Flip over with me. Ephesians 6, verse 12. Look how Paul uses this word. Okay, you there? I'm just going to wait until someone says, yes, I'm there. Okay, verse 12. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. It's the same word. Which means, what are the blessings of the Father to you in Christ? You receive the work of the Spirit which operates in an unseen spiritual reality in your life. Those are your primary blessings from the 
the Son through the Father. Now, he spells out the blessings he's given us in Christ, and he starts with the chief one, verse 4. Even as he has chosen us in him before the foundations of the world. Paul wants there to be no room for pride in the church. And so he reaches back before creation, before time began, before you ever did anything good or evil. And he says, he chose you to be in Christ. He determined to redeem you by joining you by faith to his son. Let's stop there. Often when people read texts like this, they complain about election or predestination or those terms are very unpopular in the church today. And they say things like this, if that's true, then shouldn't I be prideful and arrogant? Wouldn't that lead to pride and arrogance? If that's true, then I don't ever have to do anything. I can just live as I want to live because I'm chosen. And I would say in one sense... That would be true if we lived in a pre-fall world. Let me explain. It's a bit like Hobbiton. (laughs) Any Hobbit fans here? You walk in the movies. You walk up to the Hobbit holes, right? And the doors, they look awesome. They're round. And leading inside, they're the most amazing homes you've ever seen. There's deep cellars of the best food. There's the coolest crevices and nooks you just want to go read a book in, right? There's the most comfortable chairs in the world you just want to sit in all day. And the reality, though, is quite different. When people would come to New Zealand and they would go visit Hobbiton, and they expected to walk into those deep crevices, what they found when they opened the door was nothing. (laughs) They hit a wall immediately. There was nothing there. Religion's a bit like that. It works from a pre-fall position. Okay, what I mean is the understanding that, yeah, if I do good things and live a moral life, then the Father will please, is pleased with me. Where man was without sin, and they could obey and please and know God through their works. And therefore, if that was the case now, that pre-fall case, then yes, it would be cruel For God to choose some and not others, right? If we were all good people and we all wanted to know God and we had the ability to know God and God said yes to some and no to others, then that would be very cruel. And we agree with that 100%. We say that would be unfair. But look at the world that we live in according to post-fall Ephesians 2.1. Flip in your Bibles with me. And look what God says has happened to our hearts after the fall. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of power of the air, the spirit that is now in work in the sons of disobedience. Listen, we live in a post-fall world where sin has caused us to be dead spiritually. We're not just spiritually wounded. We're not just spiritually sleepy or spiritually confused. We are spiritually dead to knowing God. Sin has welded the doors of salvation by good works shut. Now, the Father does not have to do anything then to make the spiritually dead person say no to Him. 
but he has to do everything to awaken the dead to say yes to him. And this he accomplished before the foundations of the world where he chose the church, he chose every believer to be in Christ. Now, think about it like this. There really are three options. If Ephesians 2 is true and we are dead spiritually and it is utterly dependent upon grace, well, he's got three options. He can choose none and everybody would die and go to hell. He can choose everybody, and that's what we call some sort of universalism, where everybody's common grace, everybody will be saved by the work of Christ. The Bible speaks deeply against that. Or he can choose some. And that's what Ephesians says. Now, election leads to humility and not pride. Some will say, it is so arrogant to call yourself a chosen child of God. Why would he choose you and not someone else? What makes you special and not them? My friends, that is true if there was something you did that caused God to show you grace. But before the foundations of the world humbles us, that's the reason Paul puts it here, because it implies that he loved me before I ever did anything that was lovable. The result then should be humility and praise, for there is nothing in your salvation to be prideful about. And there is nothing left undone that would give you reason not to praise Him. It is finished. It is accomplished. We receive it by grace through faith. He chose you. Second, He has a purpose in His sovereign grace. His purpose is for His own glory and to make you holy. Point two. Look at your Bibles at verse four and five. Even as He chose us in Him before the foundations of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace, that which He has blessed us in the Beloved. Stop there. Notice those words. He predestined us for adoption. He is simply restating what He just said. Instead of chose, now he uses the word predestined so that everything would be crystal clear. And he answers then the question of, okay, he chose me, he predestined me to what? In his love, he chose you to be his children, to be part of his family. In Christ, you're not an orphan. You're not alone in the world. You are the beloved children of the living God. He loves you like His own. In Christ, He is your Father and you are His beloved child. He chose you to be His, to be part of His family. And the great mark that you are His and seal of your sonship is the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of His Son dwelling in you. You're His child. You're His father or you're His son or daughter. That's what He chose you to. Now, as His children... There are two amazing purposes here. Look at verse 4 with me in the Bible. He chose us in Him that we should be holy and blameless before Him. Stop there. Holy means set apart. You're set apart as clean. Blameless or unblemished brings to mind the Jewish sacrifices for sin, which had to have no blemishes. They had to have no defect. They were perfect. Here's what he's saying. Join those two, and the Father is saying, 
in Christ. Notice those words there, before me. You see that? Before me, you are holy and unblemished. You are set apart and acceptable. This is the effect of the work of Christ. Before Him, you are holy and unblemished. And that's how you are accepted. Because you are in Christ. You're joined to Christ. And therefore, because you're in Christ, you are holy and unblemished. But there's a second part of this also. He chose you in Christ that you should be holy and blameless in our living. He chose you not because you were holy, but to make you holy. Through all the blessings of the Spirit that we just talked about. So the church with its believers, is to be a city on a hill, a beacon of righteousness in the world, the bride of Christ dressed in white holiness. For the world to see Christ, it is to see the holiness of Him through His people. Now, the second purpose in His choosing is for His own glory. For His own glory. Listen to these words. Verse 6. I believe that's right. For his own glory, adoption through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will to the praise of his glorious grace. Do you see that word there, purpose, in your Bibles? It means good pleasure. The final end and good pleasure of God choosing you in Christ, adopting you into his family, is to celebrate his grace to us. You are a vessel of grace. He's called you to be separate, but He's also called you. Your salvation is to be a vessel that displays the glory of grace to the world. (laughs) To show the character of God in His grace. All the riches towards you at Christ's expense. So think of it like this. The only thing of your own which you contribute to your salvation is your sin. The only thing that you give God to be saved is your sin. That is it. He gives you everything. It is all of glorious grace. So God has two amazing purposes in your salvation. To receive glory for His grace and to make you holy and joyful in Him. And these happen, I would say, simultaneously. They're not two distinct things. They're one and the same. And I want to explain that and we'll close with that. Imagine with me that uh, you have a friend who is blind and you love art, you love creativity, and so you want to take your friend into France, to the Louvre, to the museum, and there you go and you enter and you see the Mona Lisa. And I I hear it's quite small, I haven't seen it, but one day maybe. And you see all the Van Goghs and the Rembrandts and the Monets, and, and you're amazed by what you see. You're just, just the beauty. You're awestruck, right? You're clicking your heels as you walk down the aisles. And, and after it's over, you grab your friend. You're having a cup of coffee in one of those beautiful little French cafes. And you say, what did you think? Wasn't it awesome? And he says, I found no beauty in it. It gave me no refreshment, no enjoyment. It didn't change my life at all. This cup of coffee is actually better than that. (laughs) Let's go, please. There's the difference between the believer and the non-believer. The non-believer has not received all the spiritual blessings in the heavenlies in Christ. You have. They don't experience the glory of God's grace. You do. They don't experience His goodness. You do. The believer who has received a spiritual awakening 
is joined to Christ, is born into God's family, is given a new nature with new desires. And the more they experience the glory of God's grace, the more it produces the effect of holiness in their life. What I'm saying is, those two things are the same. The more that you experience the glory of God, in this text it says the glory of His grace, the more you come face to face with that glory through the Word, through the power of the Spirit, through the sacraments, through fellowship, these type things, it always has an effect on your life. And the effect first is you begin to love God deeply for who He is. You're in awe of Him and you love Him as the most beautiful creature and His grace is displayed to you in Christ. And then as you love Him, guess what you want to do? You want to please Him and you want to obey Him. That's how holiness works. We start with beholding the glory and the greatness of the Father who chose you before the foundations of the world. He then called you by the power of the Holy Spirit. He then joined you by grace through faith to His Son. He then calls you justified, sanctified, adopted, and one day you will be glorified. And when you begin to see all of that, the result is, this is a God I want to love with all my heart more than anything else. And to love Him, I want to follow. I trust Him. I want to obey Him. That's how holiness works. It's not a list of simple do's and don'ts to follow. That produces self-righteousness or guilt and shame when we fail. That's all I've got. (laughs) We're going to take the Lord's Supper now. So I could ask the elders just to come forward. And I hope you'll come back next week as we begin to look at the work of the Son.